All right, everyone, welcome back to another edition of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. Fran's not here, so I'm going to go mania, 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 mania for her. <laughs> Heard every Wednesday at 11 a.m. right here on WRIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond, your independent radio station. I'm stoked. Um, we have a show that I've been waiting to do for a while. It's an update on a show we had back in, I think it's 2019, y'all, um, was when we were first on the show and we first met. Richmond has some incredible and buried historic Black cemeteries, and there are dedicated group of people fighting to keep them cleaned up and in the forefront of everyone's minds. They're just running into some barriers here, and I want to let them talk about this because, I mean... They've been in it. They've been they've been in the y'all. So <laughs> I am going to point them out and I'm going to let them introduce themselves and talk a little bit about uh, their work. So we'll start with Brian. Hi there. It's a pleasure to be on the show again. Thank you. Uh, Brian Palmer, member of the Friends of East End and the newly formed Descendants Council. And um, that's me. Uh, and, and I just like to say quickly, Melissa, that um, for all the all the conflict in the discord, the reason we do that do this is because these are community assets, sacred spaces, outdoor archives, and the only way we can wade through all of the crap is because our vision of these places is for uh, a descendant-run, community-engaged memorial site. Uh, you know, that's like, that's our vision. The history is there. Um, our ancestors have invested so much time, volunteers, community members. So that's, that's what keeps us going as we're wading through the stuff. The stuff. <laughs> you're so diplomatic. The stuff. Erin, you're up next. Hi, thanks for having us again. I'm Erin uh, Holloway Palmer also a member of the Friends of East End Cemetery. Uh, Brian and I joined the reclamation effort which had begun um, in July, 2013. We joined at the end of 2014. So now we're going on, how many years is that? Six, <laughs> six? Um, and is it six? My math is bad, but it's been a long time. Um, seven. Seven. Something like that, you know, <laughs> so. Well, um, 2020 is the year that never ends. Um, right. So it's okay if you forgot where we're at. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> Thank you for that. So uh, we will we will try to steer clear of, of too many details, too much information about, about the long standing um, conflict with the now owner of both East End and Evergreen Cemeteries to focus on as Brian said, why we, why we do this work, why these places are, are so important to us. Thank you. And name twin, Melissa. Hi. Hi, I'm Melissa. <laughs> um, my name's Melissa Pocock. Um, I'm a, a member of the Friends of East End Cemetery. I uh, joined the, the volunteer effort in uh, late summer of 2014 um, and have, have loved being a part of the community effort since. 
Um, so um, I, I appreciate RVA Dirt having us back on here again. Um, thank you so much. We, we really appreciate it. We really look forward to, to always talking with you. So. Oh, I appreciate your willingness to come back. Uh, I, I really am inspired uh, by your dedication and your efforts in regards to East End Cemetery. And um, if any one of y'all would like, uh, can you give us just a refresher, a little background on the history of East End Cemetery? Not just Briefly, you don't have to spend too long on it, but you know, just a little. That would be Aaron. Me. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, uh, East End Cemetery was found as a historic African American cemetery. Um, it was founded in 1897. It's uh, mostly in Henrico County, but there's a little sliver in Richmond. Um, and it is right next door to the bigger and better known Evergreen Cemetery, which is also a historic. African-American cemetery founded uh, about six years, six years earlier in 1891. And that one is better known in some way, well, partly because that's where Maggie Walker is buried and also John Mitchell Jr. In any case, when we talk about the cemeteries, we invariably talk about um, the time period in which they were founded, um, that they were founded because of Jim Crow and their conditions now are the result of Jim Crow. So both were established in the 1890s as, as uh, Jim Crow is sort of tightening its grip on the South. I mean, if you think about East End founded in 1897, a year after Plessy v. Ferguson. And yet they were, despite the conditions or the situation, the context in which they were founded, they were also symbols of, I would say, hope and dignity for the African-American community that founded them. And I'll let Brian or Melissa elaborate further. So Aaron, Aaron gave you the scoop. These were, these were two burial grounds uh, that eventually came to total about 76 acres. They're among uh, several historic African-American burial grounds established during a period of segregation, because as Aaron was saying, Jim Crow followed African-Americans to the death Therefore, African-Americans wanted to have burial sites that were dignified and beautiful. And for decades, African-American institutions, churches, mutual aid organizations, beneficial societies, burial associations kept these places clean and clear for the families. But what's notable is that while private investments, private um, collective action uh, through these organizations were keeping these sites alive, were sustaining these sites. The state of Virginia was essentially subsidizing Confederate cemeteries. So white cemeteries were receiving largesse from the state of Virginia while African-Americans were sustaining these very important burial grounds. And they did it, as we said, over a period of years, but Jim Crow just wasn't about uh, separate and unequal Jim Crow applied tremendous pressure to African-Americans, right? I mean, this is like a no brainer, but those pressures drove people, just drove them out of town, whether it was the assault on your dignity, whether it was the physical assault on your body, whether you were unable to get a job to pay your bills, that drove you away from whatever you might've been doing at the cemetery. So I think we kind of stress the flip side of this, that. African-Americans built these sites. They worked long and hard to maintain them. Uh, we talk to descendants all the time. And one of our 
core uh, descendants has told us that up until the 1980s, you could, you could not find a parking space on Memorial Day at East End. Families would drive up with their tools and their coolers and they would plow into what was then a pretty shaggy landscape and they'd make a, a, a day of both reflection, clearing, fun, mourning, and community. So part of the work that we were doing with the Friends of East End and other groups uh, that we worked with were doing was to create this new community in order to reclaim the site where this old community, uh, this important under-recognized community was laid to rest. Did you want to add anything, Melissa? Um, no, that Brian and Aaron did a, a great job and um, it's, we're, very lucky and have been very blessed over the past uh, several years to be able to connect and uh, speak with descendants um, at from East End and even at Evergreen. Uh, they really given us an insight and a great history of what East End uh, means to them, which in turn means to us, and um, the the history behind and the the history behind the site and the their their. You know their family traditions of coming to East End. It's only made it even more, I think, personally just sacred um, to each of us, uh, and on how what the site means to to a lot of people, and um, and how different it is to to different people. And can you tell us too, like, what brought you in 2014 to East End? And I mean, did you have a, a purpose other than helping to clear, or you know, did you have? a focus in mind, you know, looking to connect with descendants or did it just, you know, organically spring up and like, cause this, a lot of work has come out of this. It, it isn't just clearing weeds away anymore. How long do we have, Melissa? <laughs> <laughs> so wait, the, there's a Reader's Digest version. Um, Aaron and I had started a research and production on a documentary that was about my own great grandparents. Uh, who are buried in a cemetery that's now on a top secret military base. So my, my great grandparents, uh, Matthew Palmer, Matt Palmer and Julia Fox Palmer uh, were interred uh, on Camp Perry. And we have kind of lost access to be able to film there. So it's hard to do a documentary if you can't do video. So a friend in Richmond had told us about these this enormous cemetery called Evergreen that was overgrown and would just be interesting for video. And then we figured, well, why don't we try and document the people trying to reclaim this site? First Evergreen, you know, we went to Evergreen, but it turned out that the volunteer efforts had stopped there. They had moved to East End. So we figured, let's go and let's film people trying to reclaim this important site and the history of this site with their hands. And that's what we did. That's how we wound up at East End Cemetery on uh, December 13th, 2014. We had our videographer and I was doing sound and uh, Aaron, Aaron saw these young African-American Boy Scouts tearing these vines off of these plots and she dropped to her knees and started helping them and then after that day was over, she said, you know, maybe we should come back without the cameras. And I said, but, 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 but why? And she said, well, you know, to help reclaim history with our hands. And I thought, yeah, okay, okay. And that's what we started to do. I mean, I was there frankly, because it was a, I wanted the video. 
wanted to make it for the documentary. And then once we realized, oh, right, we're doing with, we're with our hands what we're trying to do with our brains. And both of those are really valuable and important work. So that's why I think I stuck with it. Well, it's funny. Um, I, I started in August, not too long before Brian and Aaron arrived. And um, I was actually relocating from Weemsburg from having graduated from William & Mary in um, archaeology, historic archaeology. And I was looking for uh, a volunteer opportunities um, on the weekends, hoping to work in an archaeology lab, but I couldn't find anything. And um, I was I had relocated to Church Hill and the Churchill People's News blog uh, had something, had a little message from John Chuck, who was running the, the volunteer effort there, um, asking for volunteers to come out for to help um, clear a cemetery that was just within five minutes of where I lived. And I said, oh, this is this is perfect. This is great. I didn't know anything about the history of the site. Um, it was just kind of, I knew something that was up my alley for a volunteer. So started there uh, on a Saturday. Uh, at the end of the day, I got completely covered head to toe in poison ivy. Um, had to go to the doctors, get multiple shots. But I had after that, I was completely hooked and learned um, learned more about the actual, the, the history of the site. And I even remember the day Brian and Aaron came and it was just me and John um, and introduced and they, we were showing them around and um, volunteers had would come and go often. Um, they get really excited about volunteering, volunteer all day. And then, then they would promise to come back. Then uh, we usually never hear from them again. So Brian and Aaron came and we were showing them around and then they left and we we're waving goodbye. And we're like, we'll never see them again. <laughs> Let's get back to pulling weeds. <laughs> that was nice to meet Brian and Aaron for this one time. You know, they, they seem like nice folks. So but yeah, they came back. Little did you know <laughs> right, exactly. stuck with us for right. <laughs> six and a half years, right. long years, so, right? Yeah, Here we it was, are. It was a great surprise. <laughs> I, I, I love, I love how it's all come together. And so documentary wise, what happened with that? Uh, so it's, I mean, it's, it is a long, long-term project. What we found is that this this cemetery work swept us up. It became so absorbing and so consuming. It felt like we were going along a different path. Um, my people were in uh, the, York, the York County, uh, James City County, Williamsburg area, and this was Richmond. And we figured, well, we are onto something really important. It's visceral. It is like, we live here now. Let's let's see this through. So we've been going along that path for for a couple of years, several years, until Aaron actually discovered a connection between my family and East End Cemetery. So we were, as we pursued this, the the stories were gradually coming together. So that's what's happening now. I mean, I don't think we thought we would be writing stories and doing a book and doing all sorts of projects and social media about East End Cemetery. But Aaron wants to talk now because like the stories are connected. Aaron, pow. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for that intro. No, I, I, they are connected, but I wanted to mention that because it's Im important to note that Brian's great grandparents, um, the people who sort of launched us down this path were both born into slavery. So Brian's great-grandfather in Goochland County and his great-grandmother in Gloucester County. Um, and then anyone who has tried to research formerly enslaved people know how challenging it is to find 
um, sometimes any records at all, um, but certainly to find um, detailed personal information about people who were prevented from learning to read and write. Um, and we were fortunate that um, Brian's great grandfather served at the, very, at the tail end of the Civil War. He enlisted in the United States Colored Troops here in Richmond. He somehow made his way as a you know, 14 or 15 year old from Hoochland County to Richmond and enlisted and ended up serving in Texas after the war and then made his way back to Virginia and to York County. And we'll, we'll probably never know how um, and all of the different connections, personal and otherwise, um, simply because you know, they, he didn't leave a paper trail and neither did Brian's great grandmother about whom we know even less. Anyway, so I mean, a lot of our, uh, the work at, at East End and, and other historic African-American cemeteries and the kind of related research that we all do has been, you know, trying to construct a story for them from the fragments that we know and then what we can learn about other people. And then of course, so, you know, we've, Many of the people buried at East End were born into slavery um, and, you know, but, but lived through the war, fought in the war um, in one way or another, and built lives in freedom, which is exactly what Brian's great-grandparents did. So in some ways, it has been, it has been a personal journey of, uh, you know, as we try to get to know um, the possible stories that they might have experienced themselves. And then, as Brian said, we, you know, years later, we, as I was doing some research, I regularly am looking for documents, you know, if anybody who's done research on ancestry.com knows that stuff pops up periodically that wasn't there before, you know, so I do these sweeps sometimes hoping that there's going to be some miraculous document for um, his great grandparents or, or, and I have not found that yet. And yet here was a birth or a death certificate for um, a cousin who was an infant um, buried at East End in 1913, I think my mind, it's sometime in the 19 teens, I'm pretty sure it was 1913. Um, and we found his birth certificate as well. He lived for two months. Um, we'll likely never find his grave because many graves at East End and Evergreen are unmarked. Um, it's, many of them were marked with courtesy markers from funeral homes that have since, many of which have disappeared. But we don't know, some of these may never have been marked at all. I mean, as far as we know um, about this particular infant, you know, his family was impoverished um, and likely could not afford a marker. and. Um, and I don't know much about burial practices for, you know, for lost you. I think there, there we go. There was nothing to mark their passage. Anyway. Yeah. Well, I, I saw you freeze, but when you ended, you made me think about something that we hinted at or, or um, an idea that we'd thrown out this idea that these cemeteries are in fact outdoor archives and they're critical archives for African-Americans for precisely the reason that Aaron mentioned. And it's because before 1865, people like Matt Palmer and Julia Fox Palmer were considered property. So their names, generally speaking, unless you fought in the service, uh, but Julia's name and Matt's name before that would, would not have existed in records. So when they were buried, when African-Americans who were enslaved or their children were buried, 
their headstones become texts of the African-American experience. So if you think about the number of people who were interred at East End and Evergreen, tens of thousands, that truly is an outdoor archive of the African-American experience, the American experience. And when we think about the condition that they're in now, you know, we, we are, we're focusing on why these sites matter, right? And why we want to protect them, the value inherent in them. But we also have to discuss the kind of critical side of things, which is that they aren't getting the care that they need. They aren't getting the oversight that they need, that, that they need even as elected officials throw money at the organization that now owns it. So there's a real disconnect between their actual value and how they're being treated. And that's, you know, I had to write a little note and attach it to my computer that says, you can only see it backwards. Maybe you can see it through the paper, but it says calm because Aaron has pointed out that when I talk about the discord and the rancor, I, I can get a little heated, but we've been engaged in a conflict over what these sites deserve for years now. And that's something that I know we have to talk about because our vision is the same, discord, no discord. Our vision is a restored site that descendants have access to, that descendants have independent descendants and community members have a say in. They have a voice and they have a vote in the future of these sacred sites. And they haven't had that to this point. Just to drive the point home, at cemeteries like East End, you're literally uncovering the last scrap, only little scrap of history that some of these descendants will ever have um, any connection. And so, yes, the, the gravity of the situation is real and it's heavy and the work is very important. And I, I know it's hard to talk about um, unpleasant situations uh, without getting heated because, you know, I want to get a little heated too. And I'm not nearly um, as deep into it, like nowhere near, but I, I feel your passion for this place and the work in general for all of our cemeteries like this um, so deeply. And so let's talk a little bit about where um, East End is now, who owns it, and um, just a little bit about why you're jammed up a little bit. Like, I, I'm trying to find a better word for it, but. So I just uh, sent a little chat to Erin and she said, no, no, no. Um, so <laughs> no, I know, it's okay. So just to provide a little bit more context, you just said, Melissa, something really critical that there are many of these cemeteries. And that's true. There are thousands of historic African-American cemeteries across the South and in other parts of the country. Some are over, overgrown, some are su suffering from the structural neglect that Jim Crow kind of uh, stamped on the landscape. And East End and Evergreen are two such sites and they are vital sites. There are other such sites in the state of the Commonwealth of Virginia and in the city of Richmond, but we're focusing on these two because this is where we started to work. And because yes, we have Maggie Walker, we have John Mitchell Jr. Uh, at Evergreen, the editor of the Richmond Planet, which was the counter narrative to the racist Richmond Times dispatch, which reported about African-Americans as buffoons or criminals, but couldn't see their humanity. So the situation is, and we talk about East End and Evergreens uh, together because they're 
their sister and sister. They're right next door. Uh, they, they, they spill over the Henrico County and city of Richmond border. The Friends of East End and its predecessor began cleaning up East End Cemetery in July 2013. This was like volunteer effort, scrappy effort. John Shuck drove his red truck up. That's how Melissa joined. That's how Ern and I joined. That's how Justin Curtis and Bruce Tarr and Maurice Fountain and who am I missing? Mark Schmieder. Uh, Mark Schmieder, Willow. Uh, so that's how we joined. And then we realized, oh, if we formalize this, if we create a 501c3, take little donations and kind of regularize what we do, we can actually clean the site up. And I have to say that the job was so daunting at the 16 acres at East End that I had less, less faith than either Melissa or Aaron until we actually started to build that community. And we, 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 we were experiencing the thousands and thousands of volunteer visits, students, scouts, church members, synagogue members. Um, everybody came and every, everybody pitched in. Around 2016, a representative of the Virginia Outdoors Foundation, which is uh, a, a quasi-state agency chartered by the General Assembly came out and said, hey, told this to me to my face that we may have a $400,000 grant that we're going to invest in the cemetery restoration effort. Work being done here at Evergreen and East End is so great. So we thought, oh, wow, that's great. That's super. They asked us to support that effort, and we did. But it was a bait and switch because what they didn't tell us was that the plan was to give not just the grant money, $400,000, but to give the cemeteries to an organization called the Enrichment Foundation that had no capacity or very little capacity to take care of 76 much abused acres, that had no expertise in either historic preservation or cemetery administration. So we were kind of used in this entire process and all of this power money decision-making was transferred to that single entity, but that entity actually had to form a holding company. That holding company called Parity LLC, it has no board. It has a resident agent, which just happens to be the lawyer for the executive director of the Enrichment Foundation. So here we are in a situation where the state has funded an owner, created an owner for sacred community assets, allowed that owner to essentially alienate, to cut out the people who restored the sites as well as independent descendants. The same people that they asked to support this $400,000 grant, they cut out of the equation and they put the one executive director of this organization in the driver's seat. So now you have a situation where this executive director of this organization has sole control of these cemeteries his holding company owns the cemeteries and they are not up to the task. So we don't need to get lost into the details about how they're not up to the task, how they haven't been able to successfully, carefully maintain uh, 76 sacred acres because the fundamental problem is the elected officials who continue to fund them with no accountability no oversight and no genuine descendant engagement. We've seen amazing things happen recently. Montpelier, 
bringing in descendants as equals. And then we have this example here in Richmond of a holding company systematically keeping the people who rescued the cemeteries as well as independently organized descendants out of the picture. So that's where we are. And we encourage people, use your July 5th to judge for yourself. Go out to East End Cemetery, put 50 Evergreen Road into your GPS or 3600 East Richmond Road, that'll take you to Evergreen and look around. And you tell us whether you see our money, over half a million dollars in state money alone. Do you see that investment in the foliage that is two, three people high? <laughs> I'm saying, whew, I'm gonna have to cut my little part right here because we're tired. Yes. Melissa, and, yes. and, and we wouldn't mind if you kept that in because again, okay. we can, Aaron and Melissa and I can go chapter in first. We can talk about the mishandling and publicizing of human remains by this organization. We can talk about the summary collection and disposal in trash bags of flowers and American flags by this organization. We can talk about just this week or last weekend, the smashing of a headstone by sloppy tree cutting. We can talk about that stuff, but fundamentally, we have to name names of the elected officials. Let me get calm. That's, but this is an important thing, though, because I mean, you are on Municipal Mania, and we do talk about elected yeah. officials on a regular basis. And if you do not talk about who's at the root of this, there's no change. If the people Precisely. don't know, there's no change. So. so let me shut up, because I know that Melissa and Aaron probably have more measured things to say, but I will say that we have seen propaganda um, in which Delegate Dolores McQuinn participated in, in order to support this non-performing entity. That to us is shameless. We have heard nothing substantive from our governor, Ralph Northam. Uh, we've gotten written off by his Secretary of Nat uh, Natural Resources. We've, we've heard deafening silence when all we've asked for and all the newly formed Descendants Council, when I say newly formed January uh, 2021, they wrote a letter March 10th asking for the basics of good governance. We've asked our public officials to explain why over half a million dollars have, has been, well over half a million dollars has been given to an LLC for these cemeteries, they say. We don't see that investment in the grounds. We do know that the city of Richmond has temporarily stopped funding for enrichment's work at the cemeteries and they've temporarily halted right of access agreements that they had green lighted, which would have given enrichment greater control or of uh, given them control of city owned cemeteries. So that's stopped. But something that's temporary, temporarily halted, something that's temporarily halted and not announced can always be restarted. So there are positive steps. Mayor LeVar Stoney and his able staff took an important 
important step. Municipal, MENA, yes, we are so happy that they did that. But what we need is other public officials, elected officials to step up like he did and simply give us what we've asked for. We want a public hearing, right? So public meeting. I would say we want more than one. We do not want- Meetings. We do not want to reduce this process to a single meeting, but we have asked, I mean, the Friends of East End over a period of years have asked for public meetings regarding the situation at the cemeteries. We, in fact, we asked for this before either cemetery was acquired and both Enrichment and the Virginia Outdoors Foundation refused to do so. Um, and so we held our own meeting mm -hmm. in our own public meeting in June 2017 at the Robinson Theater and about a hundred people attended to discuss what was going on and also to, we could share our vision for East End and also, and for the ongoing reclamation effort and also others, you know, other community members, including descendants could express their hopes and concerns. And yet here we are, you know, how many years you can, you've already seen my math is really terrible. Four years later, <laughs> four years, 2017 plus four is 2021, uh, you know, asking for the same things. Um, and that was also what the descendants council, that was one request. Darren froze again. No response from the governor. Yeah, there has been no response from the governor, but the requests were one public meetings and not mere listening sessions. We want an actual public conversation with the owner of the cemeteries and also with the public officials who continue to support whether with, with uh, funding or otherwise. Um, we want to be able to ask questions and to get answers. And this is, isn't an outrageous request. This is pretty simple over the years the buck stops with the owner of the cemeteries. We have questions. He needs to provide answers um, to community members, to descendants in an open public forum. As um, do the people who, as do the elected officials yes. who put the money in his pocket. Right. This isn't a crazy request. And it's been a, an ongoing request from com the community, Friends of East End, now the Descendants Council. Um, and it boggles our mind after many years, 2017, when they purchased Evergreen, 2019, when they purchased East End, and this still has not happened. How can that be? Even with their, quote, preservation plan that they have just posted on their website. Um, preservation planning also requires, should require, a public forum to talk and discuss about preservation issues that come up with the community where these sites are. Um, and this hasn't even happened. It's, it, it's, it's bog, again, boggles my mind that, um, that they, they cannot seem to get their stuff together um, and give the community what they are asking for. Do it, just do it. And what they deserve. Exactly, and this is, um, you know, and it's not just us, you know, we're not the only ones who are saying we need a public forum. I mean, this is a recommendation of the National Park Service, for instance, and what are, you know, guidelines for a preservation process. A key component is public engagement and not merely after the fact, right? 
public engagement at each stage of the process. Right. It's more meaningful when it can start as early as possible, both public communities and professional communities coming together in the very, very early stages of preservation planning. It's going to be, th these are how decisions are, this is how the, the planning process works when you have community historic sites within your neighborhood. Um, and I think that we should point out that the owner has created its own advisory commissions and so on and so forth, which is distinct from a democratic process, which is distinct from an open process, which is distinct from a community-based process. Picking your own friends to be on a committee that's only advisory is not the same thing as the state saying, we are going to transfer these community assets, these sacred sites to an organization with no experience managing or preserving sacred sites. What do you think about that public? They didn't have the courage to do that. They didn't have the respect for the African-American community to do that. Instead, they went ahead with a behind closed doors process. And then after they deposited the money or earmarked the money for this organization, they said, okay, now we can have these advisory things and we can have these dog and pony shows in public. But there was never an opportunity for descendants of the community to weigh in about the wisdom, the sagacity of turning over vulnerable sites to a single entity and then subsidizing them with taxpayer money. And we still haven't seen the due diligence. We still haven't seen the material upon which this decision was made. Um, it, the descendants council has asked this in their letter to the governor, crickets. Uh, this also isn't a crazy request. What made the Commonwealth of Virginia agree to hand over these sites to a organization that has no previous historic preservation experience or no experience managing historic sites, mostly historic cemeteries? Um, this, this is a very normal question as to why giving these, these places, why put enrichment in charge of these sites with no experience? No we one can seem to answer that question. Also, the answer we've received ever is that, well, they were the only ones who would do it. And to which we say, really? Wrong, no. Well, <laughs> but that's also insane because if you say that only one entity can do it, then they should be able to do it with their own resources and devices. As we said at the beginning, go to the cemeteries and look at them and you tell us if they're doing it. But let's put this in context. The reason the cemeteries are, are in the condition that they are and have been for half a century, that's Jim Crow, right? Structural neglect, the shunting, the directing of public resources, taxes paid by Native Americans, Blacks, whites, to white institutions. What the state is doing is allowing that Jim Crow system that of, 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 of connections and relationships and privilege begetting more privilege and more power to continue. So let's flip it on its head. The Commonwealth of Virginia, our Governor Northam and our presumptive Governor Terry McAuliffe have an opportunity, bringing it down, they have an opportunity to turn this into an actual initiative of empowerment. They can break that cycle of disenfranchisement and disinvestment and they can and the silencing of african-american voices and the stripping of african-american agency and they can say 
hold up before we give up any more money to this unaccountable white-led entity. We're going to bring in the community and do the right thing. We're going to break that pattern, that old pattern. We're not down with Jim Crow 2.0. We're doing something revolutionary by going democratic. And I don't mean, I mean little d. I mean genuine democracy that brings in the voices that may have differing opinions. The voices of the descendants who have been used and not yet genuinely listen to democracy is beautiful and democracy is messy and it's the best that we've got so i think that that's like once again we started with the positive and i think we can land right here on the fact that this is a profound opportunity to do the right thing in the 21st century the governor is going to send x million dollars to monument avenue X million dollars to do the right thing with the Colombian Harmony headstones. Before X hundreds of thousands of dollars go into Parity LLC's pocket again, let's bring in the community and let's ask the community, let's tap into the community in the same way they're doing with at Montpelier. Let's engage descendants. Just as Aaron said, the National Park Service's recommendation Let's bring, let's bring in the community in a genuine way so that they can weigh in on the direction of these sites, of these, of these community assets. Like, let's read the room, right? Let's read the air of the times that we are in. Um, the opportunity uh, to do right by the descendants who matter most in this whole scenario, strike while the iron is hot. It's, they could spin however they wanted to um, at this point to try to regain some ground, right? Um, and make things right. Just read the damn room. Before we close, I, I just have to mention um, the branding, the recent branding of the cemeteries um, has got me so heated because how do you, how do you brand the very precious history of enslaved Africans here in Richmond in this time, in this time, like I said, read the room. <laughs> I just, hmm, the, the disrespect, the, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm trying real, <laughs> it, maybe it's the chemo uh, and the steroids, but I'm, I'm simultaneously about to like hulk out and cry at the same time. Yeah. Anybody want to talk on that before we close? I was going to throw that to Aaron because you've had some really powerful thoughts about how the powerful thoughts about how you're going to one entity and they say it's supported by descendants, their handpick, whatever their advisory committee, but the idea that you're going to boulderize that you're going to mishmash up the names of historically distinct entities started by historically distinct groups of African Americans sustained by historically distinct groups of African Americans. These sites develop with their own characters. They have their own profound histories. And then you're going to come along and because you want to build some sort of recreation plantation with bike paths and Wi-Fi and fire hydrants and a million dollars of new plantings, 
before you even have a plan to deal with the old vegetation, before you have a fund to maintain the site that you acquired with taxpayer subsidies, you're talking about renaming these sites that had definite meaning. They advertised in the Richmond Planet. They had their own characters. Don't tell me some advisory board okayed this decision. This is not something that an advisory board, no matter how many descendants that you've handpicked or friends of this or friends of that, this is something that should go before a community because in the end, an advisory board doesn't make the final decision. In the end, the owner of the holding company who owns the cemetery makes that decision. And that's just plain wrong. I would like to add that um, that everything that Brian said, yes, but also that branding was identified as, or seems to take precedence over the essentials. Um, you know, if you looked, look at the master plan that enrichment touts at every opportunity and claims was community driven and descendant led, um, focuses very heavily on the creation of amenities, a $2 million visitor center, um, bike trails, I believe are mentioned, more than a million dollars in new plantings, um, underground power, at a site where there are thousands of shallow unmarked graves. Uh, the fact that this was produced before a comprehensive preservation plan or cultural landscape report to me indicates where enrichment's priorities lie. And I find it hard to believe that those priorities align with the real priorities of the community. Obviously, that's, that's the word right there. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Obviously, we're not all going to agree. Um, and it's, it would be wrong to say, you know, to, to talk about the descendant community as a, as a monolith is wrong as well. Clearly, descendants disagree. Um, and yet, there needs to be a place to have those disagreements and to hash them out. And it's true that we're not gonna love everything that happens and not everybody is going to be happy with everything. And yet it's hard for me to believe that there is not a better way to do this and that we can't get to a better place. But to get there, everyone has to be, everyone who wants to be involved has to be. And that has not happened. Um, and I mean, I think you see the difference not just in the way the sites are cared for, or not cared for at this point, but you see it in, for example, in at Woodland Cemetery where there is a thriving grassroots effort. And we as the Friends of East End have been pitching in there um, for the last Thank year. You. Uh, Thank you, that's my neighborhood cemetery. Yeah. And, and it's, it's been it's so beautiful to watch it. When I moved in to Northside seven, seven years ago now, I couldn't see hardly any of the graves except for Arthur Ashe and his mother. Somebody was always coming to make sure that they were taken care of. But you have doctors and 
and lawyers and I mean just prominent folks in the black Richmond community buried there too important people with important history and it's so nice to see that happening right and so I thought when I saw that happen that would be the fire that would be the catalyst when it was brought to everyone's attention that right at the top of the viaduct going leading into Highland Park that there was at Shaco Hill that there's also an African burial ground that has been paved over and just trashed um and i won't get started on that one either because woo, we'll be here all night um but i thought that would be the catalyst that would be in richmond saying okay hey i read the room like we've got all these things happening this is really important um we really need to be public about this and really need to involve the descendants and everyone involved and that is it's not where we are but may i just say that yes the burden should not be i mean at this point we know that enrichment is going to be enrichment. We've seen what they've done at the 17th Street Market. They don't take responsibility for their mistakes. Therefore, the buck stops with our elected officials who continually fund them and give them these, these vital sites. We need them to say, we are going to take responsibility for our funding actions for our citizens and for these ancestors who are buried in these sites. That's what we need. That's where the focus should be. Absolutely. So before we wrap, I want to make sure that anyone who's listening to this that wants to help in any way, how can they do that? Erin, you're the help person. I think Melissa Aaron. is. Oh, yeah, well, I'm not, more I'm than not. I am. <laughs> you too. Melissa, you go for it. Well, if they are, we encourage uh, listeners to contact local officials, whether it's calling, writing letters. Um, we post on social media, get the word out consistently, continually. Um, we also encourage people to volunteer at Woodland with the Woodland Cemetery Volunteers. Uh, volunteers is, is, is how we were able to uh, organize and uh, succeed at East End. Um, and Woodland is as a robust volunteer effort there and we encourage everyone to reach out. Um, and help. And once you are at the Cemetery Woodland, I think a lot of the, the volunteers also would say that you can really get an idea of what you are dealing with, what you are fighting for, what you are advocating for when you are recovering lost gravestones that have been buried for 50, 75 years. And plus, you really get a great idea as to what it means. And uh, in talking with the descendants there, what it means to reclaim your community's historic sites and being a part of that initiative. And um, and just continue to get the word out. Hold, sign the petition at change.org. Um, you'll find it on the Friends of East End Facebook page and Twitter. We have um, an Instagram. You'll find the link there. Um, continue to read, ask questions, reach out to us. We'll be more than happy at Friends of East End, um, uh, Friends of East End at gmail.com or reach out to us via social media. And we'll give you plenty of links, uh, letters to read, letters to write, talking points that you can help with. Um, uh, just trying to get the word out and making our local officials accountable and be responsible, be responsible to their community. Hear your voices, have them hear and listen. These are our historic sites. These are our responsibility. These are our community sites that we are responsible for. Um, and and we, we have high expectations and we're not lowering them um, for anybody. So. And I would, I would say finally, 
email your elected officials and ask them when they're going to hold this mm -hmm. organization accountable and when they're going to account for the hundreds of thousands of dollars. So you can and ask in Richmond, when are they planning yeah. on holding their public forum? Right. We're not asking, we're demanding as right. community members. And I would say the people who fund this organization, Ralph Northam, Delegate Dolores Paquin, uh, Virginia Department of Historic Resources, all of these entities are bear ultimate responsibility for the condition, the abysmal condition of East End and Evergreen Cemetery today. Well, Melissa, Aaron, and Brian, thank you so much for returning and giving us this very crucial update about um, East End Cemetery and how our community can rally around these cemeteries and make sure that um, the descendants have a place, the community has a place in the discussion and the ancestors are honored in the appropriate fashion with the respect that they are due. Gosh, thank you all for your work. I really appreciate it. And everyone involved, uh, everyone involved really, it's, it's a community effort here. And I, I really can't say enough you're inspiring to me. Thank you so, for having us. Thank you uh, again. And come back anytime. If, there's, if there happens to be a development, even the slightest bit of movement, come on back and give us we a 15-minute update. Thank you. Okay.